Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to the Leighton Stone Lust Film 2021 podcast series. My name is Stuart Wright, and regular listeners will know I've been the host of Britflix Podcast since 2013. For new listeners who came in for the Leighton Stone Lust Film 2021 content, I've been a resident of Leighton for over 20 years, and I'm proud to be part of a film festival happening right on my doorstep in East London, UK. Leighton Stone Lust Film 2021 is a free four-day film festival and really has something for everyone of all ages who can make it to the birthplace of one of cinema's greats, Alfred Hitchcock. It runs from Wednesday 15th September to Sunday 19th September in outdoor and indoor venues along the Leightonstone High Road and across town. There'll be open-air film screenings in Langthorne Park and indoor events in Leightonstone Library, St John's Church, Phillybrook, Heathcote and Star, Nexus Centre, online and more. As well as films, there'll be talks, installations, trails and workshops. The Leighton Stone Loves Film 2021 podcast series will be 10 podcasts in total. Nine are released on Friday, 3rd of September. Each of those podcasts feature three or four preview interviews with the filmmakers and or film organisations taking part in the four-day event. A 10th podcast will be released late September look back on highlights from Leighton Stone Loves Film 2021. The show notes include the names of the guests and organisations featured in this episode, links to the main Leighton Stone Loves Film 2021 website, as well as links to specific parts of the programme that feature in this episode. That includes the what, the where and the when. It just needs me to say, on with the interviews and enjoy this episode of the Leighton Stone Loves Film 2021 podcast series. Who are you? And who or what do you represent? My name's Ashton John. I am a filmmaker. Um, I represent The Home Project, which currently is in Waltham Forest, but originated in Hackney. And I represent, um, yeah, short form documentaries. That's basically my my thing. What does Leighton Stone Loves Film mean to you? Leighton Stone Loves Film means to me community, Um, being able to connect with like-minded individuals that we probably would not have had the ability to do. So, you know, when it first happened, I've connected with, you know, other creatives, other filmmakers, other groups that I just didn't know about, Mm -hmm. you know, like Stoke Film. Um, Yeah, there was a few. And the meetings that we had before the festival itself was great because, you know, again, I didn't know I had these people who were around me and in my area that potentially were doing the same thing or, you know, were aligned with film. So for me, Leighton Stone Last Film, for me, is community, but also the cohesion of other creatives, other filmmakers who are in the area that potentially we can connect with or, yeah, just know that they're there in case, you know, when we're wanting to, you know, go about and do our films, you know, we've got people potentially that can help us out so um yeah that's what it means to me what will you be contributing to Leighton Stone Loves Film yourself this year 
the home project, this will be our second time mm-hmm. that we're part of the festival. Um, so we are going to be contributing uh, short films that are based on people in the area all around the theme of home. So wanting to um, first have a workshop, which will be hosted online for filmmakers who are in the area, photographers who are in the area, journalists as well. And just being able to pick up the skills. Um, again, one or two of the members who have signed up for it, they're not necessarily a fay with, you know, editing or an area of producing a documentary. So we're mm-hmm. going to come together and do the workshop online. And within that time frame, be able to shoot a short documentary. Um, you know, each person will have their own individual individual documentaries. Uh, that they'll work on, and then that will be screened as part of Leighton Stone Life's film. So what I'm hoping to get out of it is connecting with other fellow filmmakers in the area, mm-hmm. being able to help each other out in the group with when it comes to the filming process as well. Yeah. Um, again, it's going to be great <laughs> just to kind of get everyone together and be on the same page of making a documentary for the deadline of Leighton Stone Lost Film. What do you think are the unique challenges of making a documentary that are different from making a, a scripted piece of film? Yeah, it's a good point. I think the challenge um, compared to doing, you know, a, a drama or a short film um, is, yeah, I would say it's all about people. Documentary for me is about connecting with people, but also having really good people skills and emotional intelligence to be able to connect with people but also allow them to be themselves on camera Um, when you're working with actors it's great they have a script obviously you want it to be as real as possible but when you're working with you know person who hasn't been on camera before can be a bit nervous or maybe you know they kind of play up to the camera and you want them to be more authentic it's about having that kind of skill set to be good with people, but also be able to take their story and make it connect with the audience. And I think that's a big thing as well. You know, like we've got loads of people who've got loads of stories, but how can we turn that into a documentary? How can we turn it into a piece of um, art or, you know, film that people are going to want to watch and connect with that character? So um, it's a lot of, yeah, let's say, finding the right people, connecting with them, making them feel comfortable, being able to share their story, but convey their story in a visual piece that the audience can connect with and understand. Now, with the, with short film compared to feature film, again, with scripted, there's kind of distinct, there's distinct rules and, and sort of tropes and ideas that have been established as to what differentiates how you might go about creating a short film versus how you go about creating a feature film. So. Creating a short documentary, what, what are some of the key attributes that we'll find in a short documentary that were maybe were different from what we might find in a feature-length documentary? Is the narrative. You know, that narrative has to be just, you know, straight to the point, but not too rushed. When you're, you know, for me, on a feature documentary or feature film, you have that time to allow a character to unravel you have the time to kind of, you know, get the background story out and and then take the audience on that journey. Whereas in short film documentary, you know, you're limited to five minutes or even less than that and being able to have a beginning, middle and end, um, but also give the background of the character, the main story and have a journey, but also being able to make the audience, you know, kind of come away with a story and have some kind of ending that they can, you know, connect with. And I think for me personally, short documentaries are hard <laughs> to do because you've got to cram it all in to a short space of time and not everyone can do it. So yeah, narrative is the big thing. What specific aspect or event are you looking forward to most at Lane Stoneless film this year? I would say, you know, one of the aspects I'm looking forward to in terms of Leighton Stone Last Film, this year's Leighton Stone Last Film, is being able to, again, connect with people. You know, some of the screenings that will be going on, I'm looking forward to. And obviously, 
from last year's one, when the home project was involved, it was all online and we had online screeners. And I think I've really missed wanting to connect with people in a physical environment versus being online. So I'm looking forward to, you know, actually attending a physical screening and, you know, the Q and A's, I always look forward to those as well. Um, And just like everyone's kind of thoughts after a film and just being around people and watching a film. I think it's so important, you know, to see a film on the big screen, but also get the reactions, get the gasps, get the emotions from the audience as well. You don't get that at home. What is it about film that works so well as a shared experience? When you're watching a film at home alone, it's great. Or maybe if you've got, you know, a partner with you or whoever's there with you, um, it's great. But nothing can beat being in a, a dark room with a screen projected, you know, a big screen, got your film screening on there and you've got the sounds. And then you've also got the audience as well, who potentially at certain points of the film will be making noise or laughing or maybe gasping or something like that. And I think that that's the connected experience that for me makes film work because again, it is a shared experience. It's a connected experience. You can, we can watch things on our phones. We can do all of those things, but it's very isolated. And I think film is about enjoying you know, watching something together in an audience, coming away and having a conversation about it, Um, you know, or again, maybe there's certain aspects where you're not the only one who's laughing at a particular point, but actually just being connected with the audience that is watching the film is really important. And you just don't get that, you know, when you're watching something at home um, versus being in a big screen. It's, we are humans. We need to be connected. We need to be together. Um, in a place rather than be disconnected virtually. So again, it, it's for me, it's important. It, I, I think, you know, that's how film works. And, and we know that with the cinema, um, again, it, it's a big thing. We get loads of people who want to go to the cinema, loads of people want to go to festivals because it's not just about watching a film alone, but it's being part of the audience, you know, being part of the group of people watching a film and, and being connected to the piece as well, not just individually, but, you know, as a group. Some of the things we've, I've talked about with other people who are taking part is um, you could watch a film with, you could be with a group of friends and obviously you don't talk during a film. And then you've got a fixed idea as to what you thought that film was or represented or what was the high point in the film. And you'll get into the lobby and you'll say, oh my goodness, wasn't it amazing when? Or can you believe that theme was explored? so so vividly and then your friend says wasn't about that and suddenly you're having to question what you've watched and then you have a discussion and suddenly you're seeing two two very different views of the same film and another thing to add on that as well Stuart is the fact that you know we've got devices on us all the time you know we people are checking their phones all the time and when you watch content on your phone or if you watch it at home I guarantee if you get like a notification on your phone, your eyes are going to be pulled off to that and you pause it, do you know what I mean? Whereas when you're watching a film in an auditorium, in a dark space, you, no phones allowed. <laughs> so you're truly immersed in the film and the experience. And I think sometimes as filmmakers, you know, that's what we want. We want our audience to be able to be immersed in the film, the theme, whatever we've put up there on screen. We want them to be part of that experience. And nothing can ever be, and I just have to say this, as a filmmaker, if you have your film screened on a big screen, I am not watching the screen. I'm watching the audience because it's this mystical feeling of like watching everyone together, you know, watching a film in a space and not being distracted by a phone or anything like that. So that's another plus point, I'll say. No distractions. There'll be people listening yeah. in who maybe are from outside the area or even outside the country. Um, some won't make won't be able to connect at Lanestone Loves Film. So how how can people find you outside of the festival? You can find me at ashtonjohn.com. Um, you'll see all of my projects that are there um, and also connected Vimeos and other social stuff as mm-hmm. well. 
Um, and feel free to, you know, get involved with the home project as well. So again, uh, we've got our films, which we made um, in 2019. So five short films on residents who live in Wolfram Forest, some great little stories that we picked up on. And then also homemade, what we're doing this year for Leighton Stone Last Film, you'll be able to kind of watch the films that have been made by other residents in the area as well. Brilliant. Well, it just gives me to say, Thank you very much for giving us your time on the Britflix podcast. No, thank you, Stuart. It's been great. Thank you. You are listening to the Leighton Stone Loves Film podcast series. Leighton Stone Loves Film returns for a third year from the 15th to the 19th of September 2021. Across four days, Leighton Stone in East London will be host to a variety of free events brought to you by local filmmakers and film organisations. Let's get back to the interviews. Who are you and who or what do you represent? My name is Don Stinton and in Leighton Stone Loves Film, I will be representing myself. And you're an artist and in terms of being an artist, what does that mean in terms of a film festival? I think the term artist has become a more flexible term over the years so it doesn't necessarily have to mean just a traditional oil painter Mm. it could mean someone who does multimedia work someone who does video someone who works in film even someone who's a bit of a curator and makes exhibitions or museum displays that give information Mm -hmm. and i see myself as being across a lot of different disciplines so in that way i don't feel like it's strange for me to be involved in a film festival because film is important to a lot of things that I do. A couple of years ago when there was um, Leighton Stone Loves Film in 2019, I did an installation about one of the old cinemas that we had here in Leighton Stone that wasn't there anymore. And that kind of combined film, but also an exhibition, a display and a kind of art installation. Mm. And, um, I don't know if there's an easy way to sum up what it was. It's it's not something that you could make a one-line pitch about, but it sort of made sense to me. And hopefully, you know, it made sense to the people who came to see it. No, no, no. I mean, look, I've, I've been fortunate enough in my time to interview people like Jeremy Della, Michael Landy, Franco B, who if you looked at their art, you wouldn't, they, they, there's nothing unifying about what they do, but they're all called artists. Right. The um, The intention is the unifying thing. Yes, you know, Jeremy Derry does crypto art. He's moved into that installations, everything. I mean, I'm not on that level, but um, that's the kind of thing I'm interested in moving in, moving against or through lots of different disciplines. No, and I think that, I think that's an interesting way of, of approaching it because I remember a couple of friends of mine who, who 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 saw the process of putting on an art show as the art. So it's not even like they. The content didn't matter to them at all, but the process of putting it on to them was the art. Almost like as if it was a performance in of itself. I mean, that's interesting. I have a lot of sympathy with that. I mean, I would say the process was important to me, but only that um, the the process was research. Hmm. So when I was um, finding out about the Rialto, I went down to the Vestry House Museum and looked at the archives. And, you know, that was part of the installation in the end, like the the things that led up to it, I considered that all part of the final artwork. No, and of I, course, I got to interview people as well. No, no, no yeah, totally get that. That's this kind of that's the bit that that was a big penny drop for me when I when I first because I, I, I only started, I started interviewing artists without any real background in it, and they were they were all from different walks of uh, of what you would call art. And when one of them said, "Just being here at the opening night wouldn't have happened without the art. It doesn't matter." what's on the walls, what's on the floor, what's on a plinth. He said, the fact that we're all in this room together is what the art's done. And I was like, oh, right, okay. So that's so not, so not, so I'm no longer looking at art as something that has got either aesthetic or monetary value. I'm looking at it as a catalyst for getting a good bunch of people together in a room. And I'm like, okay, this is too much for a brain. But over time, that's sunk in because when you go, the more you go to, the more you begin to see, actually, yeah, that's that. I mean, I was fortunate, talking on Michael Land, I was fortunate enough to go to the opening night of the, the breakdown show at, where the, at the old CNA. And there was thousands of people going through the doors and, and, and you realise you were part of it. There's no way of separating you as a person coming to watch the production line destroy everything he owns 
with him destroying everything he owns. You know, without us, he's, he's that tree that falls over, isn't he? But nobody ever hears. So does it make a noise kind of thing? Mm. But anyway, I digress. What does, um, what does Leighton Stone Love's film mean to you? For me, it's this fantastic expression of the community in Leytonstone because there are so many artists and creatives there. For whatever reason, I think there is something in the water. There's mm. such a concentration of creative people and really nice creative people as well because, you know, if you move in creative circles, it isn't always the case that people are supportive of each other. But um, in the main, Leytonstone is lovely and the whole Leytonstone Loves film is a fantastic reflection of that. Um you know, without um, being too much of a suck-up, I would say that Vilna has done a fantastic job over the last couple of years, really keeping it on track and growing it as well, because I think each one has been a little bit bigger than the last one, even despite being largely online last year. But also, for me, Leighton Stone Loves Film is a kind of monument to Leighton Stone's history with film, because it does have a history with cinema. Mm. Everyone knows about Alfred Hitchcock. But um, apart from that, it was a very big film centre in the 1930s, the 1920s, even, you know, going up to the 1960s, there were six or seven cinemas on the high street. It was um, the leisure choice of many people to go to the cinema, and it was very central to their lives. And Waltham Forest itself had so many cinemas at one time. It's something that astounds me about about such a, what what you would consider recent history about how dominant the cinema was to to high streets up and down the country. Yeah, amazing, really. And then the collapse seemed to happen so quickly um, as well, because um, I think three or four of Leighton Stone cinemas closed within two years of each other in the early nineteen sixties, and then the Rialto was the last one to go in nineteen seventy four. And I mean, this is still within living memory. I've met the last projectionist of Rialto, um, chap called um, Nigel Bantel. He actually came down to the um, exhibition. And on the last day, I did an interview with him on the gallery. And that was the, the last event that we did as part of that. So it was kind of symbolic that um, it ended with the last projectionist talking about the day that the cinema closed. Wow, yeah, no, that's really, that's really meta. Not only that, like almost everyone I talked to, older people in the borough, remembered the Rialto or the other cinemas and they had this amazing affection for it. What specifically are you going to be contributing to Leighton Stone Love's film this year? So this year I will be doing a workshop and there is a bit of background to this mm-hmm. about... Six or seven years ago now, I was in Queens Road Cemetery in Walthamstow and um, I saw this grave and it said, Bert Akers, a pioneer of the kinematograph. And the name Bert Akers seemed to ring a bell. And with the inscription, I was pretty sure this was referring to one of the very, very early filmmakers in film history. Mm. So I went away, did a little bit of Googling, found out that Bert Akers was almost certainly the first person to make a film in Britain and show it in public. You know, there's a lot of debate about who made the first film, who made the first ever film, and there are hotly contested claims for a lot of the pioneers. And then there are kind of um, like nuances as well, like, you know, did they exhibit it as well as show it? Were they using celluloid? Can you call it film? And then there's like a whole other debate, like does it even matter who was first if they were working independently of each other because they weren't taking each other's ideas, if they would like developing completely separate processes. Yeah, because I did I did a podcast a couple of years ago with uh, a documentarian, David Nicholas Wilkinson. He did, a, it's called The First Film, and it was about some guy from Leeds who who is claimed to be the, uh, the first film. Yeah. And that was... Louis Le Prince. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've done a podcast with him too, Small World. Indeed. So you got him, and then you've got the claims in France, Lumiere Brothers. Lumiere Brothers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I do feel like, um, you know, about the whole um, idea. I'm trying to remember what this um, concept is called: um, nominative determinism, where people's name influences what they do. Like there's a chef called Tom Kitchen. <laughs> And Lumiere means light, and somehow it just seems so perfect that um, the inventors of cinema are called light, not that they 
necessarily are the inventors of cinema, but there's a kind of perfection to that. So I think that always gave them a leg up in people's minds. So who's who's your Walthamstow guy then? Who who who? So my Walthamstow guy is Bert Akers. Bert Akers um, was a photographer, and he developed um, a camera um, in association with um, another um, early filmmaker pioneer known as Paul. So the um, that's his second name. Acres and Paul developed the Acres Paul camera in about 1895, mm-hmm. and they shot several films, but they also exhibited them. And this was the first time that some um, film had been exhibited in Britain. I believe it might have been after the Lumiere's, but then there's some debate about whether they made it first. And I mean, it's possible. I mean, they were definitely right there at the beginning of film being a thing. No, it's, ama- it's an amazing fact to learn. So what are you, what's your workshop going to entail? So I was really inspired by just the wonder of film, because we all take it for granted, don't we? Hmm. Of course we do, because it's been around for ages and everyone can make a film on their phones. But one of um, Bert Aker's big hits was called Rough Sea at Dover, and it's just that. It's like a shot of the waves coming in, and then there's like a second shot from a slightly different place. And the Victorians were so amazed by this, just just the wonder that you can like somehow reflect nature. Mm. It lasts about 60 seconds, I think, 60 to 90 seconds. And that was one of the biggest hits of Victorian Britain. So I was like, wow, it's I mean, it's kind of almost zen, isn't it? You know, you go and you watch something and you appreciate it or it's like mindfulness, which we don't have at all now. So I was like, what about if we could like teach people to make a film in that way? Silent, black and white, 60 to 90 seconds. So I've come up with this workshop, which is called Makers Like Acres. <laughs> so we're going to be doing that um, in St. John's Churchyard. And we're going to have like a makeshift studio with a gazebo. So we're going to have natural light, but also a green screen possibly. We'll be making the films the way that they would have been, utilising the conditions that are there. We don't have any studio lighting because they hadn't invented that yet. Yeah. And um, we are going to like add a bit of flair to it. I will be doing it in character as Bert. So I'm going to have a top hat. Might, um, might grow a moustache. I'll have to work on that for a couple of months beforehand. What, uh, what aspect or specific event are you looking forward to outside of the work you'll be doing? I'm really looking forward to just seeing how it's all going to come together and also the fact that it's going to be a physical thing and not online now. That's going to be great. And, you know, venues with full capacity, watching films in front of an audience, because I think most of us have missed that. Well, look, that's a lovely segue. What is it about the shared experience that makes it so unique of watching a film together? That's a really good question, um, because we've all contemplated that a lot in the last year haven't we i mean we've probably watched a lot of films at home we've probably watched films by ourselves and um there's definitely a buzz that you get when you're seeing a film with an audience and the audience are responding to the film so there's a kind of collective experience and i'm thinking back to kind of like formative experiences i had watching films when i was a kid like like the dinosaur in jurassic park i remember the cup of water and the drips in the cup when the footsteps were getting closer and you could feel like the tension rising throughout the whole audience. And I've seen it on TV and it's a great scene. Of course, it's a really great scene, but it doesn't have the same kind of frisson that it has when there's a whole audience of people who are engaged in what's happening. So it's almost hard to define or explain, but you you know what I mean, don't you? Because you felt that as well, that experience. I was going to say, Don, with your example, I think you've explained it without explaining it. I think we can all picture our versions of that idea that we're sharing a moment with people and we're all excited because we don't, because the film set us up to this point or we don't know where it's going to go next. And so you you can look around for answers, but you won't find one because it's only going to be on the screen. Yeah, that's it. So it is a kind of magic. It's the magic of cinema. Indeed. Well, look, on that positive note, it just gives me to say thank you very much for giving us your time on the Britflix podcast. Oh, you're very welcome, Stuart. It's been a pleasure. You are listening to the Leighton Stone Loves Film podcast series. 
Leighton Stoneloves film returns for a third year from the 15th to the 19th of September 2021. Across four days, Leighton Stone in East London will be host to a variety of free events brought to you by local filmmakers and film organisations. Let's get back to the interviews. Who are you? And who or what do you represent? My name's Nick Bertram, and I'm here to represent Stowe Film Lounge, an independent local cinema based in Waltham Forest. And when did that start? Started about 10 years ago. So I've been a local resident in Waltham Forest for 20 years now. I've got a background um, in DJing and sort of party planning and pop-up as well as originally training as an actor. Mm. I went to drama school and was out of work more than I was in work. Um, but one of, my, one of my great jobs was at the Museum of the Moving Image on the South Bank when it was running. Forward wind a number of years, mm. and I find myself living in a London borough that had no operating cinema at the time. So the Granada on Ho Street closed in 2003, and I thought, given my love of film, my background in sort of pop-up events, technical stuff, marry the two together. And a good good friend of mine who I met at the Museum, Museum of the Moving Image, Marcus Shepherd, came on board as well. And Stowe Film Lounge was born. And we've screened, I think to date, we must be coming on for sort of 550 films, a range of venues, probably about 30 venues now, to tens of thousands of people. How, f- how far have you travelled with your pop-up screen? Well, to other parts of London. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we, we we are fully mobile, so we're able to go anywhere. Um, we started with an indoor sort of fast-folding frame, um, but pre-pandemic, I could see we were doing more and more outdoor stuff. Yeah. Um, so the autumn of 2019... We went out and bought a big inflatable outdoor screen, anticipating more outdoor screenings. Uh, and then the pandemic hit, and it was actually rather rather timely because, of course, people are still a bit nervous about going indoors in cinemas. I mean, I'm sure you, you've been to the cinema, Stu. I certainly have. Mm. Um, but they're not as well attended as they have been. Um, so here we are using our big screen outdoors. and. Uh, and actually, last year we screened in between the two pandemics. We screened to fifteen hundred people. Uh, sorry, the two pandemics, the two lockdowns, mm. and uh, we were as busy as ever this year. So it's funny how where we were indoors uh, and doing a bit of outdoor stuff, it's now the complete reverse. Actually, now you, you've been involved with Leighton Stoneloves film from the start, I believe. So, so what 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 does Leighton Stoneloves film mean to you? Well, I think it's a really important thing. We got to know the Barbican through the Walthamstow Garden Party. So we were, we were there. We were one of, the, one of the features of the Garden Party there. And when they mentioned we're you know, wanting to start a very local film festival in Leytonstone and asked us to, to be part of it, we, we jumped at the chance. We're aware that Leytonstone as a geographical area um, has a re- very rich history, apart from the obvious Alfred Hitchcock, a very rich history in film exhibition. I think at one point it had 12 dedicated cinemas uh, in its geographical area. Um, It's been split considerably, I think, by redevelopment, particularly the M11 Link Road. Um, So I think it's it's a very diverse population. It's, dare I say it, a little pocket that I think's rather been forgotten down there. And that's no not pointing fingers at any council or anything like that. I just think certainly the bottom of the high road, as you go down towards Maryland, it's just a bit of a forgotten land, really. And I think to bring the possibility and the ability to bring the magic of cinema to that area and to make those collaborative links. I mean, as you can imagine, over the 10, 12 years we've, we've been operating locally, we've made some very, very good um, connections with other artists, filmmakers, community groups, you know, proper grassroots stuff, really. So it's a mix of collaborate, the ability to, or the, the opportunity to collaborate with community arts organisations, good old entertainment, just bring some entertainment to people right on their doorsteps, you know, stone throw away from where they live, um, and to just experiment as well 
reimagining public spaces that haven't been used for for film activity. Langthorne Park is an obvious example, mm. but the, the library, some of the other outdoor spaces. So that for me is what it's really all about: is that ability to sort of pop up, be here today, gone tomorrow. And certainly for the younger generation, I think it was a lovely, lovely story when we were setting up last year in Langthorne Park and these kids were milling around and going, what, what's going on here? What's, you know, they'd never seen equipment like that or a big screen being put up in their local park. You know, they were, they were just mesmerised by it. And, and so when we were screening in the evening, unfortunately, the COVID meant we couldn't at that time, obviously last year, sell out as we would want to it was all socially distanced but the kids climbing climbing up the top of the mound it was like something out of cinema paradiso <laughs> these sort of kids climbing up onto these mounds and and you know peering through and just watching the film from afar and it was it was just really magical really wonderful what have you got in store for uh, 2021 well this year um we're making another film so um our our offer for the, the Langstone Love film this year is we're making a film called The Day in the Life of Langthorne Park. So as well as exhibiting films, we, we also make our own films. We made a feature film a couple of years ago. And last year, we made Take the High Road, Langstone High Road, which, um, which featured in the festival. It was about a 50-minute film about the characters and the places, the geography, if you like, and the history of the high road. And this year, we've chosen to keep it very close knit around Langthorne Park. And the idea is just a, a snapshot of the comings and goings, a day in the life of the park. So we're going to be making, making that later on this month, and that will be screened at the festival this year, which is really exciting. We're collaborating with Exheven Dance. Um, they are a fantastic sort of dance drama organisation that have their dance studios just round the corner um, in Strawberry Close, just round the corner from Langthorne Park. Mm. And we've known Sam Francis, who runs that for many, many, many years. She's a professional dancer and choreographer herself. Um, so we're going to be collaborating. We've got a meeting with her later today just to, to bottom out what we're going to be showing there on the Sunday, Sunday matinee. And I suspect it'll be something a bit dancey, a bit musically, you know, a bit kind of jazz hands, but something that really family and everybody can enjoy. And then thirdly, we are going to be providing our technical services um, to transform Langthorne Park again into a wonderful outdoor cinema um, with our big screen and sound, sound system and the light. And we're really looking forward to working with the programmers there. We won't be programming anything ourselves yeah. over, the, over the, the nights that we're at Langthorne Park. But there will be some fantastic films on offer, I'm sure. So I'm really looking forward to that this year. Well, that, that gives me a lovely segue then. What, what aspect or specific event are you looking forward to at this year's Langstone Loves Film? There's a, an amazing uh, local artist called Hassan Rwanda. Um, we've worked with him. He's done a huge amount of work researching and documenting the previous sort of Bollywood and South Asian community coming together. Uh, in a very sort of community-minded way. Um, they call themselves the Apney Film Club. Um, and he did a really interesting talk, again, just showing the history of the community coming together, watching these really long Bollywood films, uh, at, but making it sort of almost an all-day event. The families coming down, cooking food, you know, just a big sort of shindig on, sun, on Sundays. And I know that he's programming something which I'm hoping to get to see. Obviously, we'll, we'll be working for most of it, but I'm hoping to uh, hoping to get to see what's on offer. And I think that's going to be up in the up in the library. Um, and I, I love that kind of thing because not only does it celebrate, you know, diversity of culture, but also is, is very much in keeping with what we're trying to do in terms of community cinema, bringing people together and giving, you know, giving particularly the younger generation, the experiences that I think our, our parents had, even people our generation, of those Saturday morning pictures or, you know, just seeing films in a collective sense, in a communal way, um, that, that coming together. It's so much more than just putting a screen up and watching a film for us. We try to finesse lots of other elements 
whether it be a pre-craft activity or some trailers or just what's what's coming up uh, and, and reaching out to other community groups. Um, and Langthorne Park, interestingly, on a personal note, has just been renovated. Um, the community centre, there's a building in the middle of Langthorne Park and the toy library that is based in Walthamstow is, is going to be is going to be moving there as well. It's a sort of second outpost. Now, I was the I was the chair of that organisation when my fifteen year old daughter was 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 very young. So I've got a, a sort of history with that organisation. It's really lovely to be working with them again, all these years on in in a different way. You know, what is it about the shared experience watching a film versus you know sitting on your couch watching your iPad? Well, I get. I won't get emotional, but I do find I can give some examples. Or maybe my emotion comes from the fact that the irony is that I never really experienced Saturday morning pictures. So my own my own personal background um, was I, I lived in the middle of nowhere and, and actually didn't have access to huge amounts of culture every day, mm. including films. So maybe I'm overcompensating a little, but I do remember um, showing the Lego movie at one of our kids' film lounges and as it, as it chance would happen, a few weeks before my parents were moving house and said, Nick, we've got your massive Lego collection here. What, what, do you want it? Or should we just, you know, get rid of it? And I'm like, you can't get rid of it. I'll have it. Um, so I had this massive Lego collection. So when we came to show the Lego movie, I brought a whole load of it down as part of the pre-craft activity. And the kids just making, making things out of the Lego before the film and their faces when I when I said, no, that's fine. You can just take it home with you. That's fine. When they came to show, you know, show what they what they'd made or whatever. And their, you know, their kind of faces are really what well, I can take it. Well, it's like, yeah, yeah, you, you just you, you can take that and enjoy the film at the same time. And you can see the parents or the carers coming together round a round a coffee, maybe having a chat that they see each other at the school gates or you know, whatever it is, but that real sense of a community coming together. And the other little things about, we used to have membership cards for the kids and, you know, they present their membership card and you give them a stamp on the card and, you know, you'd see them again. And, and it's just, it's really making something that they feel a part of and that they feel slightly, not proprietorial over, but, you know, it's, they, they feel very much a sense of it. And I like to think that the kids that, you know, one example, made, made those Legos will remember that screening for years to come. Um, that's my hope anyway. So I think, as coming back again to Lane Stone Love's film and the, out, the notion of outdoor stuff and, yeah, putting a screen up, creating an event in a place that wouldn't, you wouldn't normally do that or just showing another way of using a space for bringing people together. And I think film is such a great media for doing that. It's the creating the point, isn't it? And then then people come together. That's the bit you don't control. And then that's the magic, isn't it? I suppose. Yeah, exactly. You, you're, 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 you're the catalyst for it, I guess. Yeah. We can't control every element, but if we get all the little elements as right as we can do, it makes for a, a better experience for people, I think. Now, I, did, I didn't live in the Mystics and I did live near to a cinema that had Saturday Club when I was a kid. So the likes of Escape from Witch Mountain and reruns of 1930s Flash Gordon or Dead of the Red Circle. I mean, there was a lot of cheap stuff that we got thrown at us, but it was we were in a dark room and we were all left on, left on our own devices with no adults, so it was a absolute chaos, um, but, but fun chaos. But one of the things that that, that happened that uh, if anyone's been to a Stofflands, which I have, that that you reminded me of, that, that that's like a trademark of what you do, which is your intermission, which obviously is something that we don't get if we go to a a mainstream cinema these days. This is something that's from the from the past. But you've 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 instigated that as a real part of what you do. There is a break in the middle of the films you show. So yeah. wh- why do you do that, and 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 why do you keep doing it? <laughs> Well, I suppose for a few reasons, really. Firstly, if you look at it from the... Because, as you mentioned, we do it in our, our grown-up screenings as well. But if we just focus on the kids, I think research would show that kids generally can focus for about 40, 45 minutes, which if you give a 90-minute film, 
is a lovely natural break halfway through. Mm -hmm. And actually you can tell those younger, younger children do start shuffling in their seats. They start to lose concentration, irrespective of the quality of the film. And obviously we only show very good film, but um, um, (laughs) you you can just tell that they're sort of itching. They either need the loo or this, that, the other. It's all, I mean, it's interesting you mentioned your sort of chaos. We, we do call it our organised chaos. Mm. And it is that. It's, it's, you, want, you want kids to feel very spontaneous. You don't want to take that away from them. So the environment that we, we use is, is very sort of kid-friendly. People yeah. can come and go. You know, there's no rows of seats or anything. Um, so it's partly a concentration thing. Um, and it's also... If there's a birthday in the house, it gives us an opportunity to bring the cake out, sing happy birthday to the birthday boy or girl, Um, you know, and like a lot of other cinemas, we are at the end of the day need to make a bit of money and let's let's not shy away from that fact. It's also an opportunity for people to refresh their popcorns. Mm. Um, We have lovely organic hot dogs and organic fruit juices. So it, it's just an opportunity for, again, a bit more socialising, the kids to go back to the crafts, finish off what they were doing. Occasionally, we've, we've had some animation workshops, and the person who's done it, that intermission has enabled him to finalise the, the animation, the stop animation film that we then show at the end of the film. Mm. So, you know, there's a, there's a number of different reasons for doing it. And the, and the grown-ups, likewise, it, it's a chance to, you know, just kick back, relax, ref- refresh, refresh glasses, um, have a comfort break, and we just come back. And it just sort of adds to the evening, really. No, no, that's what I mean. I, mean, I certainly didn't mean it in a pejorative sense. It is. It really does. That, that kind of, it's, I think the first time I ever went, it was a big surprise to suddenly be confronted with an intermission because I just wasn't used to it. And then you have a chance to, whoever you're with, you get a chance to sort of go, oh, where's this going? Where's, where, you know, you, you get a chance to do a kind of pre, a pre-review of the film before it's even finished because you're kind of, you're in a predictive mode if you've never seen the film before. Well, that's it, yeah. And, and, and what's really interesting, if you've got a group of people where some people have seen the film, they may have, I don't know, for any, uh, trying to think of an example, A Matter of Life and Death, for example, you know, you, a very, a lot, you know, a favourite film for some people, but I remember speaking to a, cu- a couple where she'd seen it numerous times her boyfriend had never seen it. So she brought him along. And the intermission, of course, they were checking in about the film. You know, what are you fine about, how, you know, all this kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. he, he was well into it, luckily. So they didn't leave in the intermission. They did come back for the second half. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, um, yeah, why not? Why not? Why not eke out the experience as long as possible? That's what we say. I've been doing some research into, you know, the future of film and cinema. And one of the big things that people keep coming back to is is the cinema experience adding value to what is otherwise something you can do at home? And obviously, if you make an event out of the watching of a film, you're you're creating more than just it's a film. And I think I think that's it. And this is leads us naturally into obviously the cinema. Well, you know, Stuart. I mean, cinema's been under threat for how many decades now? It's like a cycle, isn't it? It's like a cycle. Cinema's dead. Long live cinema. If it wasn't VHS, it was you know. DVD. It's not DVD. It's now streaming. So, and I think it is an interesting conundrum. And and you add the pandemic on top. It's certainly going to be a challenging time for cinema. We noticed that there are a group of filmmakers, new filmmakers, reaching out directly to independent exhibitors. So rather than following the traditional model of putting it with a distributor, waiting for the distributor to, to reach out, we were being approached as I say, directly from producers and and directors saying, we've made a film, we own it, we're not going to put it with anybody, will you show it? And we we have done some screenings, you know, those films, I'd say, you know, a a handful, maybe sort of seven or eight of of them. And and that, I wonder if that's going to be a model moving forward. And I think what the way, the direction that we're also moving in, I mentioned previously, we've made our own feature ourselves, is... I wonder how many cinemas out there are actually making their own films mm. and showing their own films and creating and building up an audience in that way, albeit in a very localised way. But there's nothing like seeing both kids and grown-ups 
watching their own communities reflected back to them on the screen. And I, I, I wonder if we're going to, that ultimate sort of art mirroring, mirroring life. And if film isn't that, then what is it really? And, and I wonder if we're going to move into a, a new phase of people looking for stories much more in their own, in, in their own environments, in their lo local environments and finding those dramatic tensions within, within that sphere. Mm. There'll always be a place for the big, the big blockbusters and the big Hollywood, Hollywood model. But I, I wonder if that's going to last another. And I reckon if we were sitting down another 20 years time, it'd be interesting to see how the landscapes changed. I think, I think it's about us seeing ourselves as a bit of a conduit as well uh, for re rediscovering or exposing new audiences or audiences to, to material or films that they haven't seen before. And that's not necessarily feature films. If I take the example of John Smith, a, a very renowned, world-renowned filmmaker who we interviewed a couple of years ago for the latest Stone Lost film, his film Blight, Focuses. It's a film made about the the making or the building of the M11 Link Road, which is directly amazing doc. An amazing documentary. Yeah, it, it's amazing. Now well, we've showed that a few times, and it's extraordinary how many people come up to me and say, "I have no idea of the history of it, as well as the artistic integrity yeah, of yeah. the film, which they they love, but the story of it." Um, so, and I think that's. You know, it's filmmaking with a social conscience. I, 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 I like to think that that could be a way, a way that we go. And also introducing it just to, to, to new people that aren't particularly film people. It's just like, here's a story. Here's a story that, you know, on film here, you might find it interesting. That'd be the best thing about film. You can surprise people into liking something they didn't know that they even wanted. Uh, and on that positive note, it just gives me to say thank you very much for giving us your time on the BritFlix podcast. Thank you very much, Stuart. That's it for this episode of Leighton Stone Loves Film 2021 podcast series. If you've got time, please remember to rate, review and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Leighton Stone Loves Film is produced by The Barbican in partnership with local residents and organisations and is commissioned by the London Borough of Waltham Forest, supported by Arts Council England. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. It's time for another season of The Palmetto Porch, an original podcast from Discover South Carolina. I'm Devin Whitmire. Join me as I get to the heart of what makes South Carolina such a great place to visit by speaking to the locals who make it so special. Premiering December 5th, find The Palmetto Porch wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com. Palmetto Porch.com.